You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Keep your Bible there, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. The title of my sermon today is Excellence Begins with Setting a Table. Excellence Begins with Setting a Table. Raise your hand if you've heard of what is called the Dan Plan. The Dan Plan. Yes, we have one. But your name is Danny, so is that like your plan? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back in 2010, a guy named Dan McLaughlin uh, sought out to become a professional golfer. The only problem with Dan's plan was that he had never really played golf. And uh, the few rounds that he did play, he was absolutely terrible. See, what had happened in Dan's life is he was about 30 years old, and him and his brother got together to have a conversation about what the future held. And so they were, Dan had found himself in, in this kind of place. He had some success, but he was not really content with his life. Now, simultaneously, what is going on in the culture at this time is there have been several books that have been released discussing about how someone can become a master of something or how, how someone can be excellent at certain things. One of these books was a, a book called Outlier written by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. And it basically what it unpacked was that if someone spent 10,000 hours uh, on a craft or a, 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 some sort of skill, after they spent 10,000 hours, this person would become a master of whatever they did. Now, I want you to really think about that for a second, because if you spent 10,000 hours on something, what does that look like? Well, let, let's just say you, you spent... 40 hours a week for 52 weeks a year doing something, trying to be good at a skill. It would take you just under five years, according to Malcolm's plan, to become a master or to become excellent at something. So Dan sought after being a professional golfer using Malcolm's kind of thought process. He went out and sought coaches. He went out and quit his job and began to practice every single day for hours to become this professional golfer. And he then entitled it The Dan Plan. Now, 6,003 hours in, Dan got some bad news that he had to take about six months off because his back could no longer take the constraints that golf was doing to his body. Now, I know you're sitting there going, I think golf did anything to anybody's body. Well, you know, me either. But here's the deal. Dan never made it. After about 6,000 hours, Dan had to take a six-month hiatus. And at that point in time in his life, the pressures of finances and all sorts of things came in. And so Dan had to quit the Dan plan. So what, what can we learn from this? Well, just as Dan had a philosophy that he hoped would, would lead him to excellence and success and mastery of something, what we're going to see in this text this morning is that Jesus offers us a similar philosophy, but in a very different way. Jesus offers us a philosophy of following him where we can find excellence, but it all begins with the setting of a table. As I mentioned this morning, we're, we're launching MCs, and uh, as we get into missional communities, the, the biggest part about an MC is the core leadership. Uh, 
So to launch an MC, we, we say that every MC needs to have a leader, a co-leader, and a core family. So in, in a lot of ways, past and in, in, in ministerial discipleship programs or plans, what you would do is you'd go out and recruit one leader, and then they go to recruit a bunch of disciples. And what you find over time is that one leader could possibly get burnt out really easily. Why? Because the weight of their leadership, the weight of the discipleship program or platform, all depended on them. And what you see throughout Scripture is not this one-on-twelve plan outside of Jesus. What you more so see is a plurality of leadership. You have a plurality of leadership in the church. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit while, and a little bit later today. We are uh, overseeing the nomination and fulfillment of an elder today, and so that's part of plurality of leadership. A plurality of elders is who oversees the health of this church. And so as I, I prepped for today, I, I was a little bit torn on where we were going textually. Now, if you don't know what we preach and how we preach, let me give you a little insight. We preach expositionally. So what that means is I like to preach through books of the Bible. So some churches do it topically. We've done topically as well. Most of the time in the summer times, we go topically. Um, but we, we like to preach through books of the Bible. And here's why. I don't get to avoid anything in, in, a, in the book of the Bible, right? I, I don't get to choose the things that I like and the things that I don't like or the things that are hard. I have to hit it all. And so we walk through the, the, the whole Bible because we believe that all of it is the inspired Word of God. And so we want it to change us. We want it to mold us and shape us. We want to be like that tree planted by a river, and we want to be washed over. So we've been planning this year for a long time. I've got all of our dates and scriptures mapped out of where we're going for the rest of the year. So back in January, we began through this Gospel of Luke. Now we take the summers off because... A lot of us travel, and as much as I would love to believe that you, you know, just are on the edge of your seat for our podcast, our sermons to be released during the week because you missed this Sunday, I know better. So during the summer, we take a little break so that uh, it, it's not like a math problem where, you know, one plus one equals two. You can miss one week in the summer, and it's okay. We would love to believe that during the school year when we're walking through this book, we're all kind of walking through it together. So we picked back up in Luke in August. And as we did that, I started talking with the staff and some leaders about what are we going to preach on Missional Community Commission Day. And I had even told some friends, I don't really know because I think the text that I'm going to line up with isn't really going to work with this thing. And so I sat down to, to begin studying, and the Lord, in His you know, providence and in His sovereignty, really made it very clear. And it, it's a beautiful picture, and we're going to see that as we open up this first verse. Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse 1, says, Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Now that's kind of 1A, so let's stop there. So as I was mentioning, I didn't know where I was going. I looked at this text. I'm like, oh, this text talks about a lot of different things. It certainly talks about some philosophies of leadership. It really out, kind of outlays what discipleship and, and how Jesus would travel, and we're going to hit some of that as well. But there's something in those first two words that I had missed in most of my studies leading up to that time. Soon afterward. Why would Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say that? Here's why. The first seven chapters of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus does his ministry primarily in his home region of Galilee. So when you watch Jesus go throughout all of his areas in the first seven chapters of Luke, what you see is Jesus has a very small circle of travel. 
But what you'll notice in Luke chapter 8 moving forward is that the itinerant preaching, the itinerant healing, the itinerant ministry, meaning the going ministry of Jesus begins. And I don't want you to miss this. On Missional Community Commission Day, we have been led to a text, and there's been a lot of, I mean, I took one, a couple weeks ago, I was only supposed to preach one text. I ended up preaching it for two different weeks. And I had no clue what was coming, but yet God knew that today, the text of going from the central place where Jesus did all of his ministry, all of a sudden transitioned to this text where Jesus is going quote-unquote, to the ends of the world is the same day where we are doing a commissioning service over missionaries in our community. And I don't know if you see the beauty in that, but there is something amazing about what God does in His Word and in our lives. Amen? So the first two words, soon afterward, what Luke is getting us to see is that soon afterward, all these things that Jesus had done in the local context of His household-type ministry, He's now going out and he's doing with others. This is the beginning of his itinerant preaching ministry and this is really the first point for us that we need to gain knowledge from what it looks like to to become excellent in things and how it begins with service. The point for the first point for us is that going isn't just for some. It is the call for all who are in Christ. Going isn't just for some. It's the call for all who in Christ. In order for you to achieve excellence, you have to be obedient to go. Jesus, right after he is killed and then he's resurrected and he, before he's about to ascend, looks at his disciples in Matthew 28, this famous, famous passage, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he looks at his disciples, go, Another way to say that is, as you go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, to the ends of the age. So what we're seeing in that passage, as, as Jesus is looking at his disciples, and then modeling for us in this Luke 8 passage, is the going Another way to, to kind of look at that as you go or that go verb there in Matthew 28 is going is equal to searching. Going is equal to searching. So what Jesus is not calling you as a Christ follower to do is just go on vacations and never think about him. The as you go phrase is in every aspect of your life as a Christ follower who are you searching for? Meaning, who are you looking to disciple? Who are you looking to tell people about this gospel, this good news that has changed your life? I mean, the things that change our life, we like to tell people about. Isn't that true? But then all of a sudden, as Christ followers, we get a little tense when we start talking about telling others the gospel. And I, I get it that there's a lot of things that are happening both in our hearts and in our confidence and the way we speak and, and, and even in our lives. We're like, I don't know if I can tell somebody else about this good news of Jesus because I'm not living it so well. But here is the call. And if you're struggling to articulate the gospel, maybe, maybe this can help you. 
articulate your story. Like if you're in Christ, that means that you've received the good news of Jesus, meaning that you have recognized your sin and that there is no way to an abundant life in heaven outside of the person and the work of Jesus. And so you responded in the affirmative, yes, I follow you, Jesus. And Lord willing, from that point on, you began to grow in a relationship with him. And because of that growth, we can then share with somebody our story. Are we going to get every single aspect of the gospel right? Let me, let me give you, just lean back on this. You're probably going to mess up. But you're not going to mess up your story. You're probably going to mess up somewhere along the lines. I, I did. I have. I've been up here preaching and I've said something and I thought, hmm, not really. But I don't mess up my stories. Well, at least my wife says I do, but that's not for this point. So as we launch missional communities today, one of the things that I want to let our leaders hear and let you hear is that MCs exist to go, to tell others. In week three of their rhythm, they live out this thing called Neighborhoods to Nations, and it's this idea where we as a family are putting intentional pieces in our life to go. Maybe we're going to serve to point others to the gospel. Maybe we're going out on the night of the town, and we're going to invite some friends from work who don't go to church, who don't know Jesus, and we're just going to befriend them. We're going to give them a place to belong before they ever believe. See, what we've done with the church in so many times in the past is like, hey, you need to believe in order to come be, hang, be a part of us. And there is an aspect of like church membership that that is true. But there's not an aspect that somebody has to come and hang out with us to believe like us. You know what I'm saying? Like, we hang out with people all the time that don't believe like us. You vote this way, they vote that way, right? You're an Auburn fan, they're an Alabama fan, right? You're, you're a Georgia fan, they're a Georgia Tech fan. You like women's volleyball, they like golf, like whatever. We, we have things that don't necessarily jive together in our lives, but yet somehow these people are friends. But all of a sudden when we go, hey, you're not really enlightened and in Christ, we can't hang out. And over and over again, you see Jesus hanging out with people that don't believe in him. We need to follow the mission of Jesus to go. In order for us to achieve excellence, in order for us to, to be the leaders that he's called us to be, we have to be obedient to go. That's what verse 1 kind of points us to. And then in verse 2 and 3, we're going to see how the kingdom of God really excels in excellence and leadership qualities. Let's go to those verses. Really, 1b, verse 1b, so it, it begins with, And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their own means. I want you to notice, as Jesus is going, Jesus did not minister in isolation. He took disciples. He took people who he believed eventually would lead in ministry. That leads us to our second point. Excellence won't be achieved alone. 
Excellence will not be achieved alone. You need people in your leadership, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the workforce, sports teams. We should always be on the look, lookout to take somebody with us. Because your calling as a Christ follower is discipleship. It's not just about your journey and your relationship and connection with God. It's about you and him and you taking that same message to others. The call of a Christ follower does not begin and end with your efforts to be holy. Jesus' blood was shed for you to be holy. So this relationship that you live with Jesus isn't just about your edification and sanctification. It's also about you getting with other people. That's why when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandments, he says love God and love what? People. He doesn't just say love God and then follow everything I say. Because out of our love, we will follow him. He says love God and love people. Our calling as Christians is to follow after Jesus. He made disciples, so we make disciples. He led, so we lead. So you might be asking yourself, how, how does this principle differ from maybe some principles of the world? Well, I think here's a, a quick one that could be different. Christians make disciples and bring people along their journey because we're looking to replace ourselves, And here's what I mean by that. I tell our staff all of the time, one of our staff values is equip the saints. And underneath that, what we say is, you are not the focal point of ministry. Jesus is the focal point of ministry. And so we don't need to raise up an army of people based off of our performance. We need to raise up an army of people based off of the performance of Jesus. Another way of saying that is this isn't about you. And ministry is going to continue long after you. So leave a legacy of people, not a legacy of performance. Do you see the difference? Right? Getting up here and doing things well matters. But if I'm doing it for the glory of myself, then I have missed the whole calling of Jesus. But if I'm doing it for the glory of God and I'm raising others to come and do the same thing with me, because guess what? I'm going to die. I'm not going to be here forever. And neither are you. And so we don't necessarily only pour out onto the next generation like our children. We disciple others right with us right now. There are churches that need great leaders. There are places in this country and around the world that need you to go. As much as I'd love you here at Piedmont, you might be called to go somewhere else so that the gospel can grow there. So don't find a church that just makes you feel comfortable. Find a church that helps you go. Maybe your going is here in, in middle Georgia. Maybe your going is in North Dakota. Maybe it's in a different country on a different continent. That's what we're called to do as Christians. Well, how does the world look at going or the need for people? Well, I think the world definitely recognizes the need for people, but I think in some ways it's a different skew. It has a different perspective. Look at the athlete. The athlete recognizes their need for training, their need for trainers, their need for coaches, their need for people in their life to encourage them, dietitians, whatever, right? 
But all of those people exist for what? The betterment of that athlete. You rarely see athletes go, hey, let me take a step back so that they can get better. Well, we do see athletes try to perform better so that others can be better, but ultimately, again, what's the purpose? So that their team is better, so that they perform better. The whole debate of Michael Jordan and LeBron James centers around a couple of things, and the main one is what? It isn't the number of points individuals scored. The main argument of who is better, MJ or LeBron, is who made their team better? But then the argument then comes back to, is MJ better or is LeBron better? So yes, they made their teams better, but it really centered around their success. So a lot of ways, the world values people, but they only value it as far as it'll take them. Whereas Christ fathers, we value people because they're made in the image of God. And we want to see them reunited with the Lord. In every aspect of our Christian walk, we should be looking to bring along others with us. Mentorship is not a top-down requirement that feels like a chore to us. It should be a part of who we are. I've had someone in the last several weeks, a couple of different people, reach out to go, hey, I'm looking for discipleship or mentorship. Do you know somebody who would be a good fit? I mean, a couple of people now, like five, six, seven, have reached out to me in the last several months asking that question. Some of them here, some of them elsewhere, and, and the thing that hurts my heart is that all of them are generally plugged into a church. And what I want to look at all of our churches and say is, how are you helping to raise somebody else up in your own church? Where are you discipling someone? How are we pouring our lives into another person? We talk about love God, love people, and I think when we think about loving people, we think about lost people. We are to love lost people. How are we embracing our brother and sister in Christ? We have brothers and sisters in Christ that feel alone. They don't feel like anybody's with them or helping them mature or grow. Don't ask how the pastor's doing it. Ask how you're doing it. Right? I mean, that's what we do. It's not just my job. Because my job, Ephesians 4.12, is to equip the saints that's you, for the work of the ministry. We do this together. How are we making disciples who make disciples? Again, the MC model talks about this. Before we ever plant an MC, we're going to have a leader, a co-leader, and a core family. And they're going to live out some discipleship principles together. You continue on in this text. I want to take a, a quick little side note. I love how this text beautifully lays out that leadership isn't just for the 12 male disciples. He brings in, intentionally, women. And I think this is a, a big point for us because Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not only mentions women in general, but he also mentions three women specifically by name. One who, who had demons ex exercised from her. Another who had a, a great position of wealth and power in her community. We don't know much about, I think her name's Susanna, the third one. We don't know much about her. But here's what I need us all to see. There's always been like this conversation about like where are leadership, uh, where are women in leadership, and how does all this work? God made man and God made woman. And we lead, right? Like we want to talk about, you know, complementary roles and how we lead in the church. That's fine. 
but the church wouldn't be anywhere without women leadership. Like, you need to hear that, women. You've been given a position to lead. So do it. So lead. And men, if you're the guy at home and your woman's out leading you, get on your feet, bro. Like, lead. Do it. You are called, both of you, to be out front in leadership. You're leading someone, especially if you have kids, if you're married. You're leading somebody at all times. If you're serving in a position at a church, you're leading. And I mean serving, like literally, you're holding a baby, you're leading. You're holding a door, you're leading. At your workplace, you're leading. Where are you pointing people to? Your love for fantasy football? Barbecue? I don't know, Hobby Lobby? Right? I was trying to bring up a woman thing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Where are you pointing people to? Side note. Let's get back on point. Verse 3. This is, this is clutch. So after Luke tells us kind of who's with them specifically, he makes this statement, and this is where everything hinges upon. He says, And many others who provided for them out of their means. The word provided here in Greek, which is what the original language is, is diako now. Diako now. And it would literally translate to mean to serve or to wait on. So he specifically mentions that there are the 12 disciples, there's these specific women, and then there's more people. Not, not in this, I think some, some translations will say that there's more women, but there, there's more people is really what the language is happening there. There's both more men and more women. And what are they all doing? They have come to serve. That's what they've come to do. This is the same word where we get our English word deacon and deaconess from. So, so here's the picture. Luke shows us these 12 male leader disciples. He shows us these fem female leaders in the, the, the kind of women in the inner circle, these three. And then he shows us even more people who are likely both to be male and female. And all of them have come to serve, which leads us to our third point. Every great leader or path to excellence begins with serving. It begins with setting a table. If you follow the, the disciples throughout Scripture, what you will see is them consistently serving. If you follow Jesus throughout the gospel accounts, what you will consistently see is serving. You can be willing to go. You, you can try and bring people along the journey, but if you do not serve as Jesus served, you miss the whole picture. Great worldly leaders do a lot about what we've talked. But the best kingdom leaders, they start every desire for excellence and leadership from a place of humility and service. Because excellence begins with setting a table. If you look at our core values, and you walked in, we have a, a little banner out in the foyer. And, and it lists our mission to love God, love people, and invest in his kingdom. But then it goes through our core values to be present, to serve, to give, to connect, to strive 
for excellence. And what's important about all five of those characteristics is that they are the same characteristics that you will find in the, the biblical idea of table fellowship. Table fellowship. And all of our being present in people's life, being present in in moments, serving, giving, connecting, and striving for excellence comes and begins from a place of diakonal, of a humble servant. Because God reunited us with himself through Jesus and has made us family. And then that servant, Jesus, served And so because he served, we served. And then as Christ followers who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we've been called to go and become missionaries. We're family because Jesus died for us to be reunited with God. We're servants because Jesus served. And we're missionaries because the Holy Spirit has given us the power and the calling to go do so. When we set a table we're looking for pe- to bring people in. When we give, we're looking to give people a hand up, not necessarily a hand out. When we serve, we're looking to love others. When we connect with people, we're looking to give them a place to belong. Do you, do you know the difference? So a lot of times people will visit our church, and you know what they'll say, man, your church is really friendly. And here's what they mean is you, they came in and somebody was like, hey, thanks for coming today. Really friendly. They got that five or six times. There's nothing wrong with being friendly. But here's, what, here's my argument. That's the expectation. Like from everybody. Like if you ever visited a church and they didn't do that, what did you leave saying? They are not friendly. Right? They, are, they might be terrible. Here's what it means to connect. When somebody visits the church and you don't recognize them, you embrace them. You begin to have a conversation with them. You get to know them. Like from the staff down to the littlest person in our congregation, how are we embracing each other and others? Are we inviting them into our lives? Or are we just saying, hey, thanks for coming today? When we set a table to strive for excellence, We're doing so from the beginning point of having a humble heart. We can put in 10,000 hours of of practice, and we we can certainly improve a skill. But the reality is only servant leadership can lead to real success, and that can only be found at the foot of the cross. We have to surrender our lives to Jesus. And when we've surrendered to his lordship and his kingship, He will guide us and move us to become less so that he can become more. Let me pray. Lord, I ask that today as we commission MCs and commission an elder, I I just pray that in all that we do to, to strive for excellence for your kingdom, It won't be about our performance. It'll be about your performance. When we sing songs about God being you being the God of revival, it's from a place of our humility and recognizing the power that you have. 
that we just throw seeds and pour water, but everything grows because you made it grow. Lord, if there's anyone in earshot and, and they've never repented and believed and, and trust in you and this, this discussion of excellence and loving people and loving you really has been stirring in their soul and you begin to stir affections for yourself in them. God, I, I pray that they would come to a place of realization of their sin and their need for you and that they'd follow you. That just as that scripture we read earlier today, that they will confess with their mouth that you are Lord. God, move over our church to be a church who wants to become less so that you can become more. Move over me to help me get out of the way and begin to embrace and connect with people. Move over our staff and our elders. That We won't just see people as a method of getting the performance done, but that people are the, the ministry. Not about cool graphics or great programs. It's about you. Humble us. Help us to seek you in all things. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.